Hello, Set Apart Saints. This is David Nakao Wilcoxon. This audio is from the Olivet Discourse Decoded video series. The videos were low-tech, mostly me just reading what's on the screen. So you're not missing much in the audio version. The Olivet Discourse Decoded PDFs that I refer to in the lessons can be found at www.theolivetdiscourse.com. Enjoy the lesson. Hello, Set Apart Saints. This is David. And in this lesson, I'm going to go through the verses in Matthew that point to this generation. And I know that I've belabored the point about Messiah declaring judgment against the Jewish leaders in Matthew 23, saying that it would take place in this generation. And I emphasize the point of Messiah's clear statement in Matthew 24 that all of the things that he described would take place in this generation. But it's really helpful to see the references to that generation of Jews in the book of Matthew, so that we understand the context. When Messiah makes a plain statement, we should not dismiss it. He's clearly saying that all the things that he just stated in the previous verses in Matthew 24 would be fulfilled in that generation of his disciples. The fact that I have to prove what this generation means tells you how grand the deception is. Because he's not pointing to that generation, a future generation in the end times. He's pointing to this generation. And you're going to see that through the verses in Matthew, exactly what is this generation. So please put aside any preconceived notions of what pastors have told you and just look at what scripture is proclaiming. The enemy has caused people to assign the Olivet Discourse's fulfillment to the end times so that they don't understand the truth about what happened in the first century. To prove out the context of Matthew 24:34, let's look at the many times in Matthew that Messiah used the words generation in pointing to the Jews of his day. In the context of talking about John the Baptist, Messiah pointed to that generation of Jews. Matthew 11:16 says, But whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows. Speaking of John the Baptist, when he started his ministry and people were confessing their sins, some Jewish leaders approached them. Matthew 3.7 records it. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who have warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Then John the Baptist proclaimed, Bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you, that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire. So John is pointing to the judgment of the unbelieving Jewish leaders. The axe is laid at the root of the tree. So by that we see that John understood that Daniel 9, 26-27 points to the Jewish leaders continuing in rebellion against the Heavenly Father, and that their punishment would be the desolation of Jerusalem, the temple, and the Jewish nation. In Matthew 23, 33, when Messiah rebuked the Jewish leaders and proclaimed that judgment would come upon them, he asked, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. So there's the vipers. Just like John, when he started his ministry, so three and a half years before Messiah proclaimed this, he pointed to the Jews as vipers. And now Messiah is coming full circle and saying, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? 
after being accused of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of the devils, Messiah made accusations against that generation of wicked Jews. Matthew 12, 34 says, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. After one of the Pharisees asked Messiah for a sign, he proclaimed this against that generation of Jews. Matthew 12, 39 says, But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. In Matthew twelve forty one, Messiah pointed out that the people of Nineveh repented, but that this wicked generation of Jews would not repent. Says, The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation, and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. In Matthew 12.42, Messiah is pointing out the wickedness of that generation of Jewish leaders. The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with this generation, and shall condemn it. For she came from the utmost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. In Matthew 12.45, Messiah is proclaiming that the Jews of his generation would become much more wicked. Then goeth he, and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in, and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. The Jewish leaders grew worse in their apostasy, as they persecuted the disciples, and killed Stephen and James. Their jealousy of Messiah's assembly of saints filled them with more malice, blasphemy, and blindness. They descended into a civil war, which led to their desolation. After the Pharisees and Sadducees tried to attempt Messiah, he accused that generation of being wicked and adulterous. He's saying the same thing as he did before. Matthew 16.4 says, A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. Messiah spoke about the lack of faith in that generation of Jews, Matthew 17, 17 says. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. Messiah rebuked that generation of Jewish leaders, casting woe upon woe on them in Matthew 23. Says, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? After accusing the Jewish leaders of being the children of those who killed the prophets and calling them a generation of vipers who would deliver him up to be killed and persecute his disciples, he condemned them, saying that judgment will come upon them in that generation. He says that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias son of Barachias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. Now let's look at the connection between Mark 8.38 and Mark 9.1. The latter verse should have been part of the previous chapter because it's connected to the previous verse. Mark 8.38 says, Whosoever, therefore, shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father, with the holy angels. Mark 9 1 says, And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here, which shall not taste of death, till they have seen the kingdom of God come in power. 
So look at that connection. Messiah is pointing to that generation of wicked Jewish leaders. Did they not receive their due judgment for delivering him up to be killed? Yes, they did, when Messiah used the Roman army to desolate them. Messiah coming in power and glory is directly associated with that generation of wicked Jews who rejected him and delivered him up to be killed. They stoned Stephen to death. James, Messiah's brother, was unlawfully stoned to death by followers of the high priest Ananus, a Sadducee. Interestingly, Annas was killed by the Indomeans in 68 AD during the Jewish Civil War. So Messiah is not talking about the Jews being judged in the end, at the day when all will stand before the righteous judge. He is talking about the judgment which came upon the Jewish nation in 70 AD, which some of the disciples, such as John, witnessed, just as Messiah proclaimed. Messiah told the high priest, who condemned him, that he would see Messiah come in power and glory. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answer thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God, that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said unto him, Thou hast said. Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. To say that Messiah did not come in power and glory in that generation is to make Messiah a false prophet. This is one reason why unbelievers dismiss Messiah because of what his followers proclaim about his word. He made clear declarations, but most believers' explanations make him out to be delusional or a deceiver. This is all the work of the enemy who has misled the believers with false explanations. Given the context of all those verses in which Messiah pointed to that generation of Jews, it's clear that in Matthew 24:34, he's talking about the desolation of that generation of wicked Jews who sought to kill him. And we know from Josephus that this is what happened in 70 AD in that generation. The Jewish nation was given 40 years to accept their promised Messiah. Those who did were saved and they fled to the mountains for safety. Those who rejected him were desolated. We must take Messiah at his word, for any other explanation is out of context. We have a clear statement from Messiah that the temple would be destroyed in that generation, and we have historical proof that indeed it was desolated within 40 years. Messiah proclaimed that the current generation would reject him. Luke 17.25 says, But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. We know that generation rejected Messiah and delivered him up to be killed. During Pentecost, Peter admonished the Jews who witnessed the apostles being filled with the Spirit and speaking the gospel in different languages, once again pointing to the current generation. Peter said, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward, which means warped or crooked, generation. So the context of what Messiah means when he says this generation is quite clear. Here are some quotes from the great theologians about the meaning of this generation. Because I don't want you to think this is just my interpretation. This is what the saints have believed for a really long time. It's only during the last few centuries that the futuristic deceptions have taken hold in the church. Albert Barnes notes on the Bible from 1832 says about this generation, this age, this race of men, a generation is about 30 or 40 years. The destruction of Jerusalem took place about 40 years after this was written. To all these things shall receive a full accomplishment. Till events shall take place that shall be a complete fulfillment. 
if there were nothing further intended. He does not mean to exclude here the reference to the judgment, but to say that the destruction of Jerusalem would be such as to make appropriate the words of the prediction, were there nothing beyond. C.H. Spurgeon, in the Gospel of the Kingdom in 1868, said, The king left his followers in no doubt as to when these things should happen. It was just about the ordinary limit of a generation when the Roman armies compassed Jerusalem, whose measure of iniquity was then full, and overflowed in misery, agony, distress, and bloodshed, such as the world never saw before or since. Jesus was a true prophet. Everything he foretold was literally fulfilled. The Geneva Bible Study Notes from the Protestant Reformers in 1599 says, This age, the word generation or age is here being used for the men of this age. For within 50 years after, Jerusalem was destroyed. The godly were persecuted. False teachers seduced the people. Religion was polluted so that the world seemed to be at an end. John Calvin's Commentary on the Bible from 1560 says, The meaning, therefore, is, This prophecy does not relate to evils that are distant, and which posterity will see after the lapse of many centuries, but which are now hanging over you, and ready to fall in one mass. So there is no part of it which the present generation will not experience. For within fifty years, the city was destroyed, and the temple was raised. The whole country was reduced to a hideous desert, and the obstinacy of the world rose up against God. John Gill's Exposition of the Entire Bible in 1809 says, This is a full and clear proof that not anything that is said before related to the second coming of Christ, the day of judgment, and the end of the world, but that all belong to the coming of the Son of Man, in the destruction of Jerusalem, and to the end of the Jewish state. John Wesley's Notes on the Bible from 1754 says, This generation of men now living shall not pass till all these things be done. The expression implies that a great part of that generation would be passed away, but not the whole. Just so it was, for the city and temple were destroyed 39 or 40 years after. So it's illogical and out of context to assign Messiah's clear declaration of this generation to the end times especially since we see how all that he described was fulfilled in the first century. And we'll go through that in the verse-by-verse explanation. He was referring to the evil generation of wicked Jews who continually sought to kill him and who persecuted his disciples. Let's circle back to Messiah's declaration in Matthew 12:41 to see an interesting proof. He says, The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, a greater than Jonah's is here. Jonah was told by Yah the Heavenly Father to preach repentance to the people of Nineveh. He resisted and boarded a boat to go the other way. A great tempest came on the sea, which endangered the ship and their lives. Then the people became aware that it was due to Jonah's presence. Jonah told them to cast him into the water, to sacrifice him so that the sea would calm down and they would be saved. They tried to overcome the storm by themselves, but to no avail. So they offered this prayer. Jonah 1.14 says, Wherefore they cried unto thee, Lord, and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee. Let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. The men understood what they needed to do to be saved. But they prayed for forgiveness. And they took Jonah and cast him into the water. And the sea stopped raging. Then Jonah 1.16 records the men's reaction. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Yah used the perceived sacrifice of Jonah to draw the men on the boat closer to him. 
Hallelujah. Jonah was swallowed by a great fish and was in its belly, praying for three days. When he was cast out, he journeyed to the great city of Nineveh. It was an exceedingly large city, which took him three days to walk around as he cried against it, saying that their wickedness had come before Yah, and he preached repentance and warned them. Forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The people of Nineveh responded immediately and repented. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed the fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them even to the least of them. So now let's relate this to the ministry of Messiah. He preached repentance to the Jews in Jerusalem for three years. So we see a relationship between the three days of Jonah preaching repentance to Nineveh and the three years of Messiah's ministry. But the leaders of Jerusalem did not repent, and they sought to kill him. Messiah gave the Jewish leaders the sign of Jonah, in that he would be in the earth for three days, and then rise again like Jonah, was in the belly of the well for three days, and then was spit out. He said, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the well's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The Jewish leaders should have repented when they saw the fulfillment of that sign, but they did not. Beyond the initial sign, Messiah was declaring something else when he said this in Matthew 16:4, A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. Messiah berated the unrepentant Jewish leaders who sought to kill him, proclaiming that judgment would come upon them in that generation within 40 years. So can you see the connection? Just as Jonah preached the Nineveh's people for three days and proclaimed that their great city would be destroyed in 40 days if they didn't repent, Messiah preached for three years to the Jewish leaders and proclaimed that the holy city of Jerusalem would be destroyed in 40 years in a generation. Many Jews did believe in Messiah and were saved, but the Jewish leaders and the majority of Jews rejected him and delivered him up to be killed. Because of that, Jerusalem, the temple, and the Jewish nation were desolated within a generation of 40 years in 70 AD. The people who threw Jonah into the sea unto death prayed to Yah the Heavenly Father for forgiveness. The Jews who delivered Messiah up to be killed to try to protect their nation from being overthrown by the Romans did not repent for their grievous sin. Out of amazing grace, Messiah asked Yah to forgive the unbelieving Jews. Understanding how everything that Messiah declared in his Olivet Discourse was fulfilled in that generation, we see proof that Messiah's declaration is valid and his word true. The way that scripture interconnects through history is amazing. The way that the enemy has perverted the explanation of the 70th week of Daniel and Messiah's Olivet Discourse is appalling. Even sadder is how effective the enemy has been at deceiving the end-time saints, so that they don't understand the fulfillment. Let's change that with the verse-by-verse -verse explanation of Messiah's Olivet Discourse, which I will begin to explain in the next video. So, Thank you for listening to this Olivet Discourse Decoded audio. You can save and print Olivet Discourse Decoded PDF summaries. You can request a free copy of the Olivet Discourse Decoded book, or order a printed copy at www.theolivetdiscourse.com. Please share this podcast audio with others so that they can see the glory of Messiah in the fulfillment. I love y'all. Shalom.